Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the riotous return of Turned Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> Great. How are you doing? Good. It's, it feels like I, I, I haven't said that in, like, months. Yeah, it's, it's I would, I don't know about months, but yeah, thereabouts. Well, and another thing I haven't said definitely in months is welcome back to the show, David Up. Dave, fresh off the plane from Thailand, here you are, uh, you know, like, appreciate you making it here for what I'm going to label a holiday spectacular. Oh, it's my <laughs> pleasure to be here. Uh, I am coming off of a 13-hour time difference, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, I'll, I'll stay as, as focused as I can. Well, that it's it's great because like that way, no matter when the listeners listening to it, they're going to have someone on their level. Yeah, you know, <laughs> unless they're drunk, because none of us are drunk, you know, or or no, high on no. cocaine. None of us are high on cocaine, but they'll have like you know if they're up early or up late, they'll have someone on their level. So anyway, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you for coming on the show and or Chris being on your own show. And uh, Dave, uh, uh, this is uh, a, a great opportunity for us to reconvene. You know, we were talking yeah. off air. We had some of the uh, forbidden from broadcast topics discussed off air, and now we are ready to discuss <laughs> things we can that are fit for uh, everyone's consumption. I, I almost wanted to see since we had a you know behind the scenes, we had a, a text conversation earlier in the day that. Uh, I almost wish we had just done it then so that I could maintain my appearing on this podcast from Mexico and then appearing on this podcast in Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, I think would be a, a real good phone in, but I was, you know, at the Shanghai airport, it's probably not super conducive to talking on the phone. No, this, this podcast is, this has been very international. I can say like more international than just about any other podcast that I can think of. But mind you, I only, as I also told you guys off air, I only listen to wrestling podcasts. So Maybe just my wrestling podcasts aren't that international. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I'm sure they. Yeah, I'm to, sure that's not true. Well, no, that's not true. I listen to uh, Burning Spirits. Do you know this podcast, Burning Spirits? No, I, I've never heard it. No, is it like what I think it would be? It's a pro wrestling <laughs> podcast, but done by hardcore kids. 
Uh, oh. So that's why they named it Burning Spirits. And they talk about where the name came from in the first episode. And it's, uh, yeah, so it's a, a, a much a much beloved podcast by myself because not only is it people talking about wrestling that I love and these guys are way deeper heads than I am, you know, like, so I, it's like, I get to learn, but also at the same time, I know it's hardcore guys. One of the dudes from dry rots in it. I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a true crime podcast that I listen to. Um, called my favorite murder and i've seen photos of the one woman's husband that does it and he's wearing a uniform choice shirt whoa photos as far as just like being a super nerd to like go to someone whose podcast you listens to his partner uh, but yeah i'm like oh that dude's in hardcore i guess well i forgot to tell you guys off air uh, about some of the upcoming guests that are coming on uh but there yeah definitely some surprise ones coming on too there's a lot of people out there that are still i didn't know about they come from, you know, punk and hardcore, you know, and like a lot of people, uh, you know, that I'm finding out about, you know, doing cool things that are adjacent to this world cool. or in this world and stuff too. Um, Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. Can't uh, really complain. Hating winter. Other than that, everything is lovely. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess like since we last spoke, uh, I wrapped up shooting the TV show. So that is done. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Chris, you have a new job. <laughs> yes, so as always, it seems to be the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, we won't go into any of the details about a new job or anything. Um, but yes. but uh, it's it's it sounds, you know, as we were saying off air, like a, a step up and an improvement, <laughs> and it also means that maybe we'll be able to come back with some regularity in the near future. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think part of the. Um, Part of the, the disconnect for listeners is that, and that we've expressed this numerous times, and again, I apologize, or, but uh, it's both Damien and I's life has been in pretty major upheaval over the last, I don't know, at least two or three months. So in particular, if not the whole year. So that's why it's been hard to kind of link up to do a regular weekly thing. But yeah, I certainly intend to uh, to be back on that as long as uh, you are not in foreign places at all times yeah no that exactly like go figure two guys that were sitting around with nothing to do could come up with time <laughs> to do a podcast every week without fail yeah. um but yeah no as soon as our lives got a little bit busy it became a lot more difficult so now that we're back with somewhat stability and regularity for at least the foreseeable future we will be back on track you know and the mailbag will be kicking alive again and we will be ready to devour that yes for sure um but you guys haven't done mailbag in so long that i i question how much is even in it at this point like well, it we, must have be... a few, we have a few stragglers and we don't we're, we're not forgetting them but they are there and i think what it is is that much like to what you're saying like yeah because it hasn't been addressed we're not receiving as much that is true but uh mm. But there is some. There's been some funny little ones that have come through over the last little bit. Um, but yeah, I, th- I feel like if it becomes active again, that's when we'll start to see the increase. Yeah, and mm-hmm. also, where where do they send those uh, emails, Chris? Yeah, it's uh, turned out a punk footnotes at gmail dot com. Um, we did get in some cool stuff on the other email address too, uh, over at the other turned out a punk podcast, and including. A fearless form rejection letter that Fearless Records sent out. 
They had a form rejection letter too. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's a, that's the thing that's cool about this podcast is there's people that are constantly finding out about it, right? So there's people that are constantly like going through and listening to old episodes and like sharing new tidbits. So someone who had been listening to the Fat Mike uh, Aaron podcast was like, "Oh, I don't like," and never, I guess, listened to the footnotes where we eventually did get an original or at least a copy of an original Fat Records rejection letter, and then we did find out from. Fat Records, a source at Fat Records, the label, that there is such a thing as a real rejection letter, and they do have a supply, and he was supposed to actually give me one for Fucked Up, but uh, you know, I, th- I think Fat Mike silenced him, or Aaron silenced him, when they found out that he was going to get that letter and put it out there in the world. Because huh. he never sent it. Um, I don't know why anyone won't, like, why would, like, I don't know, the perception that, you, that you'd want to hide that or think it's, I don't know. Like it's you're you're you know you have by all rights as a record label you can have you can reject whatever you want, you know what what's it matter? Yeah, is it because it's not personal? Yeah, I think it's that. It's I think it's that. also because it makes you look a little, you know, shitty. I guess. Oh, like, not I, to I mean, me, that, but you know maybe they that's what they're worried about is that like they would look shitty to some people. I suppose, but I mean that wouldn't that be your first thought before you ever made that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like you, let's be honest, like in the nineties. It was cool to be shitty. Like, it, it was like, you know, like there were cults around people because they were super, super shitty. Like, Charles Manson was like kind of cool, and he's like one of the shittiest dudes potentially ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, so like the 90s, like it was like a very different time than now, right? Like, so, you know, I'm not saying that it's on like, you know, making tribute movies to Charles Manson level of shitty. But, you know, like, <laughs> sending out rejection letters is kind of shitty. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I think it's fairly innocuous, personally, but I what I find more intriguing about what was just mentioned is that Fat Records at least makes a decent amount of sense that that would happen, because I could see them being particularly burdened in that window of time by a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, groups yeah. bothering them. Fearless, though? Uh, you know, all due respect, how they have a form rejection letter? Like that seems kind of like I, did they I, all have them? Oh no, but they I had said, they have like uh, they have uh at the drive-in they had like huge bands. Yeah, yeah I, was, I bet you like the the same. I bet like the bands that were mailing in demos to any of those labels mailed them to all of those labels. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good know, point. There, you know, I'm sure. Like, I mean, as much as it could seem like faceless and impersonal. I bet you the sheer volume of demos that Fat Records would receive, like in a month, would be staggering at at points. You know, maybe late '90s, early 2000s. You know, like the height of yeah. the Warp Tour era. I'm sure they were just getting inundated with with crap they didn't want. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's only so many things you want to write back to. Yeah, like those bands. Like I like you know I remember trying to interview Fat Mike for my zine at the Warp Tour, and it was like. It was like trying to get a rock star. Like they were like huge rock stars. They were on like Billboard charts for selling like legit numbers of records. Like it's amazing. Yeah. It's staggering how much, how many records those bands sold back then. Yeah, true. Um, well, so. that sustained the model though. Like the thing that's crazy about it is I. What I guess I was trying to communicate earlier is that what we've just unearthed about the idea of like the need for a form letter, like. Anyone who's like, or at least for a window of time previously, or even I guess to a degree still now, 
like as read an interview or seen an interview with Mike or just kind of the whole Fat Records thing, like they were snarky. Like that was the thing. That was part of it. Yeah. So to receive like a snarky rejection letter doesn't even really seem dickish because it seems completely in character. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, but I think that now it's like, you know, they're trying to change the narrative a little bit. Perhaps, yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like it, it's, I get it, I but I just think it's kind of funny that yep. there's this like bizarre need. I think the aspect of like, tr- like I don't, I don't want to accuse anyone of trying to cover it up, but just the idea of even bothering with that seems like that action in and of itself is more than necessary, like more than is needed because it's, it makes it seem sketchier than it is or, or something. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, I don't know why they denied it. Like, you know, I could see them being like, yeah, don't send them or like, you know, him not sending me that letter, but it's the fact that they denied it in the podcast. It's like, no, like we know it exists. Like we've seen it. Like, you know, it's like, you don't have to deny it unless it was like someone in the office that did it without them knowing. Yeah, which I guess could, could be a happen. Thing. Definitely could happen. You know? Uh, yeah, if you're the guy who has to respond to all those, you're probably like, oh, let me just copy-paste this. Yeah, like, working at, having worked at a record label, it's amazing the stuff you could have gotten away with as far as, like, you know, portraying yourself as the artist in, like, you know, like, being like, oh, yeah, like, let's... <laughs> Let's sign this deal. Let's do this. You know, like as a record label, you you in fact you you have a lot of power over uh, the bands that you're uh, you know putting out the records of. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, we uh, we are talking about uh, stuff. Do we have any mailbag stuff that we need to get to? With there's little ones like there's a there's a funny one, but I kind of feel like. Uh, that we should maybe address it on like a centric episode where we try to tackle old ones and then incite, you know, the solicit for new ones or something. That way it's all in one theme. But if you want to keep, like, if you want to hit on, there's, there's definitely one, I think is very amusing that I want to bring up, but let's do it. It doesn't matter if we do it now. All right. Let's do it. Now. So the one in particular, I got to just look real quick. Cause I didn't think we were going to get into it. Just be a, a minute. No problem. Um, the one. Okay. So the subject line, is, I just want to see if I can get the sender here, Uh, Dan from the United Kingdom, and the subject line is, Damien owes Chris a ticket to see the who. And you can see where I'm going with this already. Um, (laughs) The body is, hi guys, just plowing through the back catalog again, and in episode 71, Damien said he would buy Chris a ticket to see the who if Turned Out a Punk got a sponsor. Just want to thank you so much for making <laughs> That's true. For making painting and decorating more bearable. Uh, listening to podcasts pretty much every day. Also, thanks for reinforcing my uh, commitment to making my three-year-old listen to Husker Do, or Husker Do, however you want that pronounced. Uh, please keep up the great work, and there you go. Okay, That's well, Chris, that is very true. I had forgotten about that promise. The next time the Who come through, <laughs> I'm buying a ticket for you. I'm not. I will gladly accept, but I I do not. I didn't want to read it as a, like as a true. I'm going to hold you to that. No, I just we thought do. It was really we, funny. We do. Have a I just thought it was, now. Well, I just thought it was absolutely hilarious that someone pulled of all the things from this show, the tidbits that have existed. That was one that, that came back. So yes, thank you, Dan. Great message. Uh, and 
I guess I'll be seeing the Who. Maybe yes, you will. <laughs> they they are amazing, and like that is one of the best shows that I have seen in a long time. But that long. to to bring it to this podcast, like listening to like Vic Bondi made me feel like you know I should see some of those like old time, like you know older generation rock bands like while you still can. Yeah, like sh- like I should just see the Rolling Stones or see the Who just to like check that off and you know just to do it. Well, yeah, like it's you know a friend of the show, uh, Jeff Johns. Like that's what he does all the time now. Is is he goes to just see classic rock bands? He's like these shows are the best shows to go to. So there's no pretension. You just go to the show. You know they pan rocks out for like the given time. You know all the songs. They play all the hits. You know, yeah. Like, have you seen Alice Cooper? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I saw Alice Cooper, and it was awesome. There was no opening act. He played for like maybe two hours, like all bangers, and then it was. And I was like, you know, nine thirty, walking to my car. I'm like, perfect. Did he do that thing with his daughter where she was doing like Kill Bill? Um, was I don't. She... That, there was no daughter present. Okay, his daughter was like, I think it was his daughter. At least that's what I. I remember someone telling me at the time, uh, and she was doing like a Kill Bill kind of fight sequence with them at one point. Like we're in the yeah, kill- that, that that did not happen for mine. <laughs> okay, because that <laughs> that that did make that show drag a little bit for me. I have to admit, I'm like, there's got to be a song that could have fit in here instead. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, yeah, I saw that. I saw Meatloaf one time live. That was that was all right. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. I'm trying to think of groups like that that I've seen. Uh, I saw Kiss; they were great, but that was probably 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, see, my apprehension on any of this, like we discussed in the initial episode of which that was referenced in that email, is I'm just, you know, I just don't know the state of <laughs> of what a lot of these people are in. So it's the the investment in gambling on that. When you went, is my. What's that? Well, I was just going to say, like, you know, like, when you went and saw Kiss 17 or 18 years ago, they're probably, yeah. the, aren't they the same age that Coxbar would be now when you go and see Coxbar? <laughs> like, it's kind of like, that, that is like, it's weird to think, but like, if I were to go, like, when Lauren and I went to see that Rain and Maria show a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, this is like what classic rock is now. Like, what classic rock to us was. Like, like my my kids would be like, oh, my parents went and saw this band. Like in the same way that I was like, oh, my parents went and saw the Eagles or something. Yeah, the only thing I would say to that is, would I go see Kiss now? No. <laughs> would I have gone to see Cox Bar seventeen, eighteen years ago? Yes. Would I go see? And I did see them, whatever, a year ago. Yeah, I would still. So that yeah, it's relative, but it's just that's my always my concern. Although I, I have no question, I believe you with the Who. I love the Who, so. I, you know, I would be more than happy, but there are some groups where I just, you're looking at, like Guns N' Roses, I've never seen. I had the opportunity a couple times, and it's like, yeah. yeah, I don't know about that one. Or, you know, like Motley Crue, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Like, I've had plenty of opportunities, and I just, I tend to shy away from it. But, yeah, I I, I kind of, uh, I'm feeling that idea of, of maybe now dropping a bit of that to at least catch some of it to at least see it like alice cooper i would i would genuinely like to see and i wouldn't shy away from that so i'm with big time with you i saw i saw metallica for the first time and only time uh this summer 
And I was like, I, you know, a band I've liked since like the eighties and never saw. And just was like, you know what? I, it was cool. I mean, it wasn't at the same time, but you know, I'm like, I'm glad that I went, (laughs) you know, like there's obviously it was, you know, I would have picked a slightly different set list, but like, uh, you know, it was cool to, to, to see it. Like the songs that you like, you still can get like pumped on seeing them live. Um, When you say slightly different set list, I assume you mean like just the entirely whole load, different load record, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't play anything off the S and M record. Um, <laughs> that, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would have changed it significantly, but you know, still cool to to see them. I think that memory remains song is pretty sick. Off reload, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. know a song off that is like <laughs> is, is that's what it's called. I think it's like that's a hot no take. Idea. Uh, I, I I lose them post like a cool guy answer, but like I I don't even fuck with the black album. Like I I yeah. Oh, that's not a cool guy answer top around top. here. That's, that's like cool that's like the common though. rank and file opinion. Unfortunately, on this podcast. no, but I feel like the cool guy answer should be like, oh, I don't do anything after Master of Puppets. You know, like I'll at least acknowledge uh, Justice for All. Yeah, no, that's true. I I know what you're saying there, Dave. I'm with you. I think uh, a lot I of yeah. To... I find that like most. Most, unless you're like a super old head, and then like, but I think most people will give injustice for all to them too. Yeah, a lot of people dislike that record. I think that's kind of foolish. I mean, it, there's stuff on it that doesn't age well, particularly the drums. Uh, but there's some like song wise, there's some great songs on that record. But the um, issue is, is, is it, uh, it the length? Is that every song is long as fuck? And yeah. like that's what takes you out of it. But they do reference discharge in it, so like you know that's cool. Yeah, there's some uh, deadly. There's some deadly stuff on that record. Like Dyer's Eve is is deadly. Yeah. It's still, like I I'm a big fan of that record. I wish the drums were better, but yeah. Anyway, this is funny that we're going so deep on Metallica right now. But yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's that's the point, right? Hey, I tried to reference a recent episode. <laughs> no, you did good. I just la- <laughs> laughing at the debate. Like I've had my own. I've already had a Metallica Black Album rant once on the show. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, Chris has definitely got heated about that record. Heated. Um, yeah. Well, you you don't want me to open the door about being like, well, well, you know, here's what it like when I saw Kiss, or here's Motley Crue when I saw them, because like that's also like really in the weeds of this podcast. Well, no, that's, that's good. I. I well, with like, do you genuinely like any of that stuff? Like, do you like Old Kiss? Do you like? Uh, oh yeah, whatever? yeah. Okay. Uh, um, I saw Kiss in '90, so I saw Kiss. Yeah. P- before they put the makeup back on, like yeah, I saw them well, on the Hot in the Shade tour. Like I saw well, them at like the darkest era of seeing Kiss. Like just yeah. like, like Go super these. bullshit. Like I mean, their set list is fine, but like you're getting some some a lot more '80s Kiss. Than you did like in '96 or whatever when they like came back with the makeup. Yeah, um, yeah. This podcast has aged see... like 30 years in its hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> like we used to talk about No Effects and Descendants, and now we're talking about <laughs> Kiss and Motley Crue. Go on though. I'm just. I'm just. Yeah. I just know. Uh, and uh, I did not see Motley Crue like then. I saw Motley Crue in like 2000. Four maybe I don't know. Like with the four real dudes, um, yeah. and it was the f- first concert that I went to that I didn't get like just straight nosebleed like far as fuck seats for. Yeah, and it was actually very fun to see it like in like the you know 
twelfth row or wherever the hell we were. Like we were relatively close, and it was nice. it actually was a lot more fun. So the question is, on this one, Damien, being that you are not, you don't come from that aspect of this as much. Do you like either of those groups? Like Kiss? Yeah, yeah, I like Kiss. Like I, I, I like Kiss songs. I should say. Yeah. Uh, no, Motley Crue. I've never, I have, I've never gotten into it at all. And it's That's fair enough. I, I, I like, you know, and I, I like that first record. I can see why people like it, and I can see how that connects to stuff I like. I think Hanoi Rocks is probably, and Guns N' Roses are mm-hmm. like as close to that as I go. But it was never like, I don't know, like at the time, even like I, I, I had Poison open up and say Ah. And, and mm-hmm. I, I remember just being like, yeah, Every Rose Has Its Thorn is okay. But like, none of the other songs really spoke to me. <laughs> no. the, the first album, Look at the Cat Drag Dance, pretty much hits the whole way through. Like, like no one's like throwing on Play Dirty, but like, you know, it's fine. Um, no, I saw Poison on the Flesh and Blood tour, which is really like not what you need to see. <laughs> yeah, because you were a total glam metal dude. Yeah, yeah. So like, I guess I, yeah. don't, I, I can't buy poison. I'm not with you there. You lose me here, both of you. I like not Aerosmith Pump too. That was like the, another. Oh, good lord! Uh, <laughs> I I was having like a an, an '80s and '90s Aerosmith conversation with some people really recently, and it's just like <laughs> it's just like a dark door. To, like because because in the in the way that you consume music in 2017, you could be like, yeah, maybe I'll just throw a permanent vacation on, and you you know. You're not spending any money. It's super yeah. simple, um, but then you're like, "What am I? What am I doing?" Like, you might want to just hear Ragdoll, <laughs> but then like, then you, if you keep going with it, you're like, "You don't need to hear this shit." Like, you don't need to hear like "My Heart's Done Time" or, uh, ba- you know, any of that shit. It's just you don't need it. Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't fuck with that at all. I like, I, I respect it because like that's a group where, like, that's a guy who had a voice and just like fucked it. He like fucked his voice so bad, but then he like mm-hmm. had a second life. It's almost like, like a, a shitty butterfly, you know. Like a, <laughs> it's like a, a beautiful. Isn't that a Sonic Youth song? We gotta make Tornado Punk T-shirts and, and shitty butterflies. Isn't that a Sonic Youth song? To be <laughs> in the Sonic Youth font, shitty butterfly. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for Steven Tyler's episode when uh, you reference this of, of calling him like a shitty butterfly. No, but yeah, I mean, like, like, I respect the fact that he had like a second life with the, like a voice that he had unfortunately, you know, destroyed through, uh, you know, from what has been told, excess. Like, I always wonder what happened because, like, you hear him on those early records. It's like a different dude on on those '90s records. Well, I think it's one of those things where it might just be like a Brian Johnson situation where you you could have your like let me put my love into you like kind of regular voice, but then you have your like back in black voice and then people are like, No, 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 let's just use that one all the time and then you're just like that's the the like, you know, it's like being typecast. Like I feel like he just got stuck doing like the the, the high voice. But I don't think he can, just, I don't think he can do Dream On like that now. You know, like I mean, it, I, it, did you ever promise to buy tickets to see Aerosmith for Chris? No, I did see Aero, I did see Aerosmith though on, but it was like Get a Grip tour. Unfortunately, not Pump tour. Oh, good lord! Did they have anyone funny opening? Like, was it like yeah, it was Soundgarden or no? Even better, Four Non Blondes. 
Oh, with what? How was I can't the, remember what's her how name? was the rest of their set. What, <laughs> besides <laughs> their one hit, well, yeah, they definitely they played that hit. Uh, and I said, "Hey, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. I remember, like, I got a, a real intense flashback when I started doing that to that show. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, but she, um, she, 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 uh, no, she, she's like become like one of the most successful songwriters of. Uh, our generation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She's, she's a, a modern age, uh, Desmond child. Like, yeah, she's, um, <laughs> she's probably written more hits than, than, uh, Perry and Tyler. The four <laughs> non-blondes woman. Yeah. Cause she, well, you, well, what else? She did all the pink stuff. She did some pink stuff. She did also, uh, well, she did, I think she did like a lot of it. Yeah. Ashley Simpson's, uh, successful song. She did like, like when's she going to be on? I don't know. I like, yo, it, it turns out she was like, and that's when I heard "Crossed Out" for the first time. <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna when when in an upcoming episode, a person from a very singer songwritery kind of world starts talking about a collaborative project they had with Cavity. That's why I mm-hmm. love doing this podcast. That's what because it's just yeah. like there's these <laughs> moments. So if she comes on and like drops some knowledge. Oh my gosh! I don't even know where they were from, Four Non Blondes. But anyway, Aerosmith was was pretty <laughs> sick that night. It was a good show. I saw ACDC on the Razor's Edge tour uh, with, and it was Jackal opening, I think. Oh, oh boy! Probably my favorite they pull chainsaw. Chainsaw? band. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, he used the chainsaw <laughs> on stage. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Uh, and yeah. uh, and but Aero, uh, sorry, ACDC were fucking incredible. That night, they were really awesome. Um, oh, I never, I never saw them. Sadly, no, me either. Regret but now, of course. But yeah, that that I blame that though on my on punk ruining my ability to like watch bands play long sets. Like, yeah, I, I like I can't. I, like, as you know, I can't. I just don't want to watch a band play for three hours, and I don't want. Like, I know that you're like paying fifty bucks, so it sucks that they play for twenty five minutes, but like. I, I just I just don't want to do it. That's so it's like I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent Like I don't know why people insist. Like when you're when you're playing a band and you hit that point where people start being like, "Oh, actually, you're contractually obligated to play for an hour." You know, like it's like why? Like why? Like I I still don't. I've never seen a band play where I've been like, it wasn't. You know, there wasn't 15 minutes of the set that was perfect. And then like mm. other parts that drag like like it's like if every band just played for fifteen minutes you'd always want more, or thirty minutes. Let's not be ridiculous. Thirty minutes, you know. Um, yeah. But like ACDC, that's why they they're amazing because they bring up props, you know. Hell's bells. There's a bell on stage that's ringing. You know. There's there's for those about to rock. We salute you. There's a cannon. They're firing a cannon. You know. It's yeah. a it's a show. <laughs> it was a show as a kid as an eight year old. That was a that was a, a lights camera action show. It's crazy to think that I went to an ACDC show at eight years old, and well, actually, I brought my kid to a Neurosis show, so I was going to be like pretend to be all high and mighty about how I'd never let my kid do something like that, but I totally brought my son to a Neurosis, uh, sorry, a, a Melvin show. So maybe maybe I'm the worst parent, but no, the Melvin show is way less sketchy than an ACDC show was in '88. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ACDC yeah. were yeah were pretty darn established by '88. I assume it wasn't like 
you know, no, like it was, in some sketch. It was a concert. Yeah, it was. It was. In, it was in the Sky Dome, which is like you know at the time the biggest venue in Toronto. But like, I definitely like there. Like you know, there was a seat. Uh, sorry, a seat. A sink full of puke in the bathroom, just like just like a <laughs> full to the brim sink of puke that I remember seeing, and like a guy having sex with a girl in like a hall, and like you know you smelt weed, like it was just like you know very different than the experience of going to this Melvin's concert, which backstage like you know like Holden was was you know talking to Barney from Napalm Death, you know it was a very civilized backstage. There was no cannabis. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're trying to protect your kids from cannabis, I think you probably have your work cut out for you. But. Well, you know, I'm just trying to, like, do what my parents did to me with cigarettes and alcohol, where it just exposed me to so much of it as a young person because they were doing it that I now I'm just like, <clears> oh, <throat> never. You know, so that's <laughs> with my kids with cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I do it in front of them, but I mean, like, yeah. you know, just daddy's... You know, when when the guy at the convenience store comes up to talk to me about weed, uh, they know what daddy does for a living. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one point I wanted to acknowledge, because I think it's very well stated, and you sort of touched on it as well, Dave, was that Dave bringing up the, uh, you know, the, the punk ruin long sets for me thing. I think it's, I think it's even further for me. I, I feel it's also this idea of like, there's, a, there's a, at least from like my age forward, so I would say like 90s centric up punk hardcore related things, where it, there was almost like, or I felt at a time, there was almost like a guilt to like any showmanship to a performance, truly. Because in like pop punk terms, you started to get like real cornball things, mm-hmm. and that just seemed super lame. And so, although you did have like always your John Spencer's and your Rocket from the Crips. But I remember, like, the first time I, I saw Rocket from the Crypt, I remember being, like, not really down with the idea of the shtick of what they did, like, as far as, like, the way they looked. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, and I blame that on exactly kind of what you were talking about, Dave. Like, that idea of, like, you know, everything needs to be, like, morose, you know, uh, like, really super bland political, you know, diatribes or something. In that era, not to say there's anything wrong with the, either of those things, but... Um, I feel like that there was a um, that was the temperature of the moment in a lot of cases, and it ruined anything that wasn't kind of in that realm for me. And now mm-hmm. included with that would be like a proper concert, quote unquote, um, by some of like you know if not these bands, we're talking about something else. Like this year, I've kind of gone to see a bit more like proper concerts on a regular basis. One because I'm a boring old person now. And also because it's stuff that I know I've ignored and I'm worried that I'm going to get to that point, like not so much with the classic rock stuff, but like, you know, I've never seen, I don't know, I'd never seen Bell and Sebastian or something. So I went and did that and it was just like, yeah, this is nothing like, like what I normally do, but it's great in its own, you know, in its own way. So I, I'm with you 100% on that idea that, uh, you do get ruined in a weird way, and it's sometimes it's for the better because you ignore some junk. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think it, it can be detrimental as well because you ignore some great stuff just because it's, you know, even just for me, like the price of a concert, you know, is is and was kind of a point of contention. Like, I, not that I don't expect people to charge money, obviously, but like, you know, when a concert's like above a certain 
price, I'm always like, well, do I really care that much? I've seen like hundreds of concerts, if not thousands or 8,000. So why do I need to see another artist anyway? And why do I need to overpay for that kind of thing? You know what I mean? It, um, it becomes like such a weird double-edged sword where you have to accept that like there's a degree that people want to like make a living off of it. But yeah. it just becomes like, it's like, am I paying $12 to see it, like a show that's like pretty much everyone's local? Then you're like, well, what's the point? Like, you know, like this could just be a benefit show. If, 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 if like, it's one thing if you're helping like a touring band out. Yeah. But then you have to say like, do I need to hold non-punk artists? Like, I don't need to hold Iron Maiden to like punk ethos because yeah. they're, they're not, you know? So then it, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll spend some money on a concert, but once again, like I'm not trying to like go to concerts every week like you know if i spent 70 bucks to see metallica that's one thing but i wouldn't want to pay like 70 bucks to see like the impalers (laughs) i get what you mean yeah no offense great great great, lp great yeah yeah my favorite local band i I push back on that the only reason why i wouldn't pay it now is because i've already seen them and i you know i'm good but i they're worth 70 bucks i'll say that much Oh, for sure. I mean, they were a funny band to, to pick on. But, like, I mean, that said, like, I've flown and seen bands. So it's, like, ultimately, you know, like, I have, I mean, I, I you know, I've spent real money to see, con- you know, contemporary-ish bands just because if you factor in a plane ticket, then, you know, you, you're spending concert money on a show. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. This year, I saw two of the best concerts I saw in my entire life, and I paid full price for them. They weren't both expensive, but one was like that. That uh, PJ Harvey show I went to was pretty expensive, <laughs> um, and it was it was. Fun I love that you love it so much. So you just shut your eyes and you're like, "Is this the foreskins?" No. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was heavy. That song when they played it live, <laughs> I was like, "Fuck." The only thing that was annoying is, like, the thing that sucks about concerts is other people. Like, if, <laughs> I would pay that much money if I could watch that show in isolation. But, like, hearing people, like, yell out songs they want to hear or... And it's funny that I say this someone who, like, lives and dies by interaction with audience when I play live. But, like, to be in the crowd, I'm like, oh, God. Like, like we love you, PJ. Like, oh, sh- shut up. Just... Yeah. <laughs> Like she knows you bought a ticket. It's sold out. You know, like. Um, and then, yeah, she probably had a set list. She had a set list. It was killer. <laughs> she had a set list. She played the whole record. It was awesome. There was like a little bit of a stage show, but not so much where you're like, oh, this is like really sticky. Um, yeah, it was really good. And then the other one's gauze, which. Was not expensive, and that was like the opposite show of that, and it was fucking the best show I ever saw. I thought those Burning Spirits kind of shows were expensive. The Gauze show was the equivalent of five dollars. Oh, really? Um, and that included a drink. I thought a lot of those kind of shows were like 30 bucks. No, like it was not like gonna break the bank, but yeah. like not five dollars either. I can't remember what the Death Side show was, it wasn't that that expensive but it was definitely more expensive um but it was no the gauze show was like super cheap gauze played first um like 
and uh, you know before life. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. kind of killed the room, and the room was <laughs> packed. It sold out. You know they had tickets saved for foreigners at the door, um, and you could buy your ticket and go in. And it was yeah, it was like the best concert I've ever been to. It was fucking incredible. Played for an hour, no stops. See, that's funny because you said earlier about the length, and so that was one that didn't bother you lengthwise. Yeah, it didn't bother me. Didn't bother me at all. Like it didn't feel like an hour actually at all. I like this year. I like. I really, you know, I feel really fortunate that I've gotten to see stuff that I that you know I really enjoyed, um, be it wrestling or be it music. And it's amazing how if you're seeing something you really enjoy, time is irrelevant. I agree. Yeah. Like this podcast, when that, it comes in six hours, people are going to be like, well, I really enjoyed it. So it was irrelevant that it took six hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They answered that one email, you know, it was, it was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. Well done. They talked about kiss for the first 20 minutes of the show. <laughs> I mean, I could keep well, going a, if you want. Point of reference. Speaking of nerdiness. Well, I believe now that I think about that, asking you that question about kiss, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, do you not have on one of your records a Lido? Is it a, a hidden song or something where you actually do cover? A, yeah, we we covered. What uh, was it Deuce or not Deuce? Was <coughs> a Strutter maybe? Yeah, you know, we, we covered. No, we covered Deuce. So, that song's great. And we also to just keep it on on point, we almost covered Dirty Deeds on Nothing to Nothing and then changed it like the week before we recorded to that Rose Tattoo cover. Nice. Whoa. Like, we were very close to doing ACDC, and then we've been playing it. Like, we played it at Chicago Fest, and then we're like, I'm bored of this song. Like, let's just let's just do something else. Like, you know that thing where you essentially, like, write material, and then by the time you actually get around to recording it, you're like, uh, we have new songs now. I don't, you know, these aren't exciting anymore. Like, that cover, we'd kind of, like, run this course, so we didn't record it. We've never, I don't know, like, I've never been in a band that, like, played out live with material before recording it that much. You must have been early fucked up. Yeah, but like by default. Yeah, but like those but by the but that's like so early on you're just so excited about being in the studio, but then by the time like being the public on, it was like Mike kind of writing these songs and then us being in the studio working on the song, you know, or maybe learning it a few days before and then just kind of working it out in the studio. Um Yeah, I guess pretty early on you guys had a pretty large volume of songs that even if you're playing like, you know, when you would do your playing a whole bunch of shows in one area, you have enough songs you can, like, not just play the same set list every day. Yeah, but it's, so it's really weird. Like, you feel like, you know, kind of, I feel like always a year in to a record, I'm like, okay, now I know this song. Now, now I feel comfortable yeah. with this song. Like, I wish I, I wish we'd been playing this song out live before I recorded it so I could have figured out where I wanted the vocals to go and, like, how I wanted it to sound as opposed to, like, frantically trying to figure it out the day of. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done both, and I, if given my choice, I'd much rather road test a song. Yeah, like because you can, it makes the recording for everyone, uh, like so much easier. If you if you've already like played it, like played a song live a bunch, you can blast through everything on like the first take, and then you're you're done. Yeah, no, like I think, I think. to once to once again reference something that was in the Vic Bondi podcast, like the idea of. Like, what's the longest you ever... Rec- you guys had some some long records, so by default, you should have long sessions. But, mm-hmm. 
Like, what's the longest you guys have ever like recorded, like for one record for? Well, like we've been recording for this thing that we just kind of finished for about hmm. two years. Like, like that's, but how actively? Like, like Mike in, just in in spurts, like very actively. Like Mike has been in the studio now for about six months, just kind of working on it. Like that's not every day going in, like. You know, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm sure he's actually probably thinking about this stuff every day um, when he's not in the studio. And then they go in the studio and they'll work for, you know, kind of like a week straight on stuff. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, this has a, a been a very different kind of recording process, though, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like, normally they're, but mind you, like, Jonah and Mike last time, like, I think as soon as we kind of had the money to kind of, like, spend a little time in the studio... Uh, they loved it, but before that, like when we first were going in the studio, we try and record like I don't know, it's like twenty songs in forty-eight hours, you know, or you know, or like yeah. ten songs in forty-eight hours, or whatever. Um, so I don't know, yeah, like it's I guess the longest we've been in one stretch is I don't know, it's hard to say because Mike and Joan have been been there for a long time, like longest I've ever done it for one stretch has been like a week straight of going to the studio like every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like a job. I, I, I think that would be like I. I remember other like when I feel like like Ensign would do that as far as like bands that I knew yeah. that were like getting in the like. Were they on Pro Nitro? Core. I think. Yeah. The Pro Core. Um, I feel like I feel like when they did the second LP, which I believe was on Nitro. Yeah, it was. Um, I feel like they were like going in and like like Tim talked about like doing like essentially like a song and then going home and yeah. like just like. Being able to do all your vocals that way, I think it'd be, it'd be, it seems like it'd be a waste of time. But it, it, like, if 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 there's no like option, like if there's no nothing to hold you back from doing that, then like, why wouldn't you? You know? Yeah. But it's definitely way yeah, more I'd comfortable. Never, you know, I'm never, yeah. I'm never done, like I'll, I'll normally do at this point. <clears throat> you know, and I'm like, I'm not going in the studio all day. If I went in the studio like all day, be like because normally I have to go home and pick up the kids. And stuff like that, but I could probably do like three songs a day. But then, like mm-hmm. you know, you're doing these songs like so many times, you know, or like not so many times, but you're doing these songs a few times, um, and you're also doing them like just to get the tone right for every song or the levels right and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I could do three songs a day, but then I'd be like, my voice would be shot by the end of the day. Um, so yeah, now, now and I that's, do that, two. And that's the thing when you think about like some of these old hardcore mm-hmm. records that they were like live in the studio like one track and just like doing them you know all in a go and it's mm-hmm. like it's you know i you, you wonder like did those bands just like do they just practice relentlessly so that they could re- do a, a clean recording that's the vocals or you can hear them the whole way through for the most part like obviously like in uh, BNC or whatever that Urban Way song, like he starts to come in one thing early or yeah, you know, like you hear the that like has got the eight. fuck up on it too. Yeah, like you'll hear songs where they do that or like there's like a cough, yeah, um, or like a laugh, you know. But like, or I was, was it Jesse Stanhart? Really no, Pat Fastbreak used to talk all through the backups or something. I don't know, <laughs> there's but there's definitely like there's definitely a cough. Uh, in the last song on the Pissed LP, um, there's a cough in a Casualties record. Like there's 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 some just straight noise that you're like, why wouldn't you just fix that? Yeah. Um, 
There's I'm trying to remember what there's a song. Oh, it's on the Mass Control LP where it really sounds like the drummer drops a stick. If if he didn't, it's a stupid fill. Um, and it's just like, why wouldn't he just fix that? Like, I, you could you don't have to. You can just start over, man. It's not punk. You know, it's not. A, but yeah, I mean, we uh, that. But you like when we when we first started, like you, we would do like four seven inches or like, then like a course of a you know a a weekend at a studio, like you know like the, or like mm-hmm. and then a bunch of comp tracks and then like a bunch of demo songs. Like I remember the session just before we did Hidden World, we must have recorded like twenty songs in that weekend. Um, but like I don't know what it is. Like I guess like you know it wasn't like your there didn't feel as much pressure maybe to try and get it right. Like now when you get older, you probably have like, you have different expectations, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm sure like, though it's, a life, it's a life of your band too though. Right. Like when you guys were starting, your, your expectations for the group were not the same as like, you know, when you started to now. So that, I think that's part of it too. You feel either maybe like you have to exceed what you did before or, you know, you're at a different, I don't know, skill level in some regards mike mike might have been one of those guys like your your greg gins where like he might have had the the next six records like in his head kind of planned out he definitely did at one point you know like i remember like you know around hidden world we had like you know that was like the period where everything was like laid out um Mm -hmm. and then you know we decided you know jade tree came to us and like hey we'll, we'll pay you guys to do a record and we're like oh well maybe we can do things differently um you know it it, it really changed things when we were all of a sudden presented with the option of being like yeah but you could be a pro core band and we we're like oh, yeah well wait wait not having to have a job like this would be a fun like thing to see where it goes for a little bit yeah i mean i think i mean i toyed with it it just you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. It, like, and it, you know, like, I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, now it's, it, 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 I realize, it, you know, like that's, that's like where you're kind of like building a career, you know, like that's where you're kind of mm-hmm. like figuring out what you're going to do with your whole life. And, you know, you get to exist in this like fantasy world for that time period by being in a band, but it's not really like that's going to be the rest of your life. Like it's it's not really able to be the rest of your life. Like unless you're, God, like unless you're like huge, 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 you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be the rest of your life. Or unless you're extremely talented and able to like pivot into other worlds of music, it's not going to be the rest of your life. It's going to be this like chunk of time, and then it's going to be over, and then you got to kind of start your life. Well, I mean, I feel like yeah, I mean, it depends on what the band is, but I feel like some of those bands, like if you just never break up you can kind of work that world if you live like obviously you couldn't live like a baller but if yeah. you live cheap you could probably you know do that but then again someone told me a story the other day and like their uber driver was like kevin seconds so like you know who's to say that you know yeah. you can you know stick around not necessarily really go away ever and still like you know not live off it forever well the only way kevin seconds is making money is on tour you know, and he's got a family. He wants to probably be home. You know, like you got to mm-hmm. do something to pay the bills when you're doing that. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing how, how like, you know, how much you'd have to to sell to be able to like just kind of like ride and coast, or how popular your band would have to be. You know, in Canada, there's like a there's an added cushion because there's government funding, mm-hmm. but 
you know, without that, like, I, you know, I don't even know how, you know, like, I, how a lot of these, you know, perennial kind of art musicians would survive, like, in this kind of, kind of, like, world right now in music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not that the, the, the grant system in Canada is kind of fucked up. So there's, there's definitely major issues with who gets money and who doesn't get money. Agreed. Because, um, uh, but it's, it's, it's nuts right now to think, like, how many bands are out there and how many people are trying to make their money through music. You know? It's to go to a, a big Damien point, does Drake get money from Canada? Or is he like doesn't need it because he's like too big? Uh I don't know, like to be honest with you. Like I'm sure there's certainly like at, some like sort at of a certain point where with Drake can like the can they just like the parliament or whatever runs Canada just be like, hey, like <laughs> Avril Lavigne, like you're you're cool, like you 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 got this, you know, like Drake, you're you're doing fine. You don't we Celine Dion, we don't need to pay you. Rush, you guys are fine. But there then there's like, like it, there's like soft money too that comes in, right? And there's like promotional things. Like if if they have a Canadian label, like their promotion budget will be covered a little bit, you know. And it's uh, yeah, like I don't know, I don't know how, how much of any money Drake gets from the government at this point because yeah he's pretty big there's actually an article in the toronto star about how he actually brings like something like six billion dollars worth of commerce to the city of toronto <laughs> or something like it's like yeah. maybe not six billion but it's something like three billion or something something, something in the billions yeah i mean I'm, i but like yeah, I, I just wonder. Like, I can see. Like, I, I, the idea of the government's trying to like subsidize the arts so that the arts continue. Yeah, is like is is great. You know, like I'm not going to get into like how the money is divided or any of that stuff. Like, I, I think that's a, a good use of government money. Um, but like, yeah, I wonder about you know if you're at a certain point, does it stop? You know, like are Lover Boy still like getting a check because they were a Canadian rock band at one point. If Loverboy put out a new record, I'm sure they could figure out a way to qualify to get that record funded yeah. by Factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's funny that we're that this kind of has hit on this topic because I had I was having this discussion yesterday actually about this very thing because I Loverboy I don't know about funding no not Loverboy <laughs> but about like the idea of like large or like just mega mega hit artists that have come from Canada still being able to access or not access access funds that are you know should be for you know people who obviously don't have money or what have you um, and one of the uh, I think that's still a gray area I don't know I I've, I'm feeling like they sadly might still be able to um, but my greater concern even than that is um, that's a kind of a blatant obvious one is that they're still recognized, um, at least using like Drake as an example. I think Drake was shortlisted, if I'm not mistaken, for the Polaris this year, yeah. which is uh, to Dave it up. It's like a, you know, it's like a smaller, intended to be, you know, dare I say, like an arts or more, more like avant-garde. He's not been, even avant-garde. He's been on it a few times over the years. Yeah, but and, and like to a degree, it made sense maybe <coughs> at a time, but uh, like fucked up has won this. 
mm-hmm. which in and of itself was was you know quote unquote controversial when it happened. But to acknowledge someone like him on it now is to me you know completely pointless because he gets acknowledgement everywhere. Like there's no point for him to be acknowledged on that list because it's meant for you know sort of more more distinctly unheard of or or like you know not hugely commercial acts or what have you no no even it's, though it's, like it's, arcade fires won it and you know yeah. those acts are big but did fucked up win it yeah yeah we, we won in 2008 i think <coughs> but 2009 but it was uh but it, i think it was our record from 2008 that won it it was like it was the 2000, you won yeah it, it was the 2008 yeah. polaris prize i think um but the, that awards like their their whole mandate is it's an award uh, judged for the best Canadian record solely on artistic merit that came out that year. So, you know, like I, you know, I, I definitely don't think Drake needs that money. But yeah. at that same time, like Drake being nominated for it, actually, you know, that makes artists like Lido when she beats Drake look important. You know, like if Drake wasn't on that list, it would make that ward look like they're running away from Drake at this point. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, like him being on that list and Leto winning, like now Leto's a star, you know, and she's awesome. And like, you know, the fact that people know about her now and are talking about her is, is kind of like, not because of Drake, obviously, but because of like, you know, people that wouldn't have paid attention to her now know about her because of this award, but that award has legitimacy because it does beat people like Drake or because Drake's on that list or the weekend's well, on that list. Well, something. Drake's never, never won it, right? He, he's just been noted. <coughs> yeah, he didn't win. He hasn't, he's never won it. And maybe the last Drake record wasn't the record for him to be nominated for. Cause it was like a record that, you know, a lot of people didn't like necessarily in the critical sphere, but at the same time, like that, that was like the, one of the biggest records of all time. Yeah, so I just, I, I, I'm on Wikipedia, and it looks like so. So, fucked ups has won it and been shortlisted. Yeah, we've won, we were shortlisted for David and one for chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, but the point point being, I guess my in your I face, Elliot Brood. Yeah. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't argue entirely what you're saying. Is like I get that too, but I, I still just think for me. It just seems like, uh, well, as all award kind of things are anyway, like these weird empty gesture things that are yeah. largely irrelevant. But I, I worry about how much, you know, by and large, the um, fairly problematic in a certain regard Canadian music industry behaves and how much it wants to rub the shoulders of, you know, these large giant commercial artists to, to keep saying to the world like, you know, we're really relevant, guys. Look, right? When the people here already, you know, the people who, like, follow the acts that are nominated that aren't giant commercial s- successes are already aware of that. So I get that you're playing the game, and that's what they're doing. But it's, I don't know, that's more my qualm with it, is that, you know, yes, I don't want gigantic mega millionaires getting any money that they don't and need anyway. Uh, I don't care who they are. And then secondly, it's like I don't really... Personally, I don't buy that acknowledgement being even not only warranted but but necessary. Even if someone else just beats them and then it looks better, but it's all subjective because you know I I also don't happen to like the artists that we're talking about. So that's another whole ball of wax. But, but the critical um, sphere is dead. 
you know, like biggest is best now. Like we had yeah. the critical sphere was at its height, you know, a couple years ago when Pitchfork kind of reigned supreme and they were like a kingmaker and a, a good review on Pitchfork meant your band was important. It, it didn't matter that your band was not that big, you know, and I played in one of the bands that benefited from that a hundred percent. I can, I have to acknowledge that. But now mm-hmm. that that's kind of like gone, you know, like, you know, I was looking today at a, a major music site and looking at like, like one of their editors try and drop knowledge on a subject. And, and it was just like, it was nuts. And, you know, and I was like, wow, like I should tweet this person and kind of call them out on how kind of ill-informed this opinion that they have is. And then I was like, wait, why would I do that? Like, it, it's, it's, it's almost like, yeah, like we don't live in a, a point, there's no point in doing that anymore. You know, like, it's just like, uh, just let this person have their ridiculous opinion. Like biggest is best, you know, like that's, you know, and then, but maybe that's, maybe that's true. Like, you know, I'm sitting in a room surrounded by overpriced records that, you know, we're in micro pressings. So, yeah. you know, maybe I'm a fool. <laughs> well, I mean, that goes against it because those bands, you know, we're not the biggest. No, I know exactly. Know? But, but like, you know, maybe we're wrong, you know, maybe like, maybe the best stuff is the most popular stuff. Like <laughs> m- maybe, like maybe, you know, maybe maybe i don't know i don't, like I, i'm about to like name off some genres and i'm like no i can't no i can't like i'm gonna like i'm like i'm not gonna be that person because like you know like the genre that i would name off like are just as valid as burning spirits hardcore or you know <laughs> like you know scandinavian d-beat influenced you know crust stuff you know like or just like whatever kind of micro genre that we're like find way more exciting than what's happening on the major level, even in, even in punk, you know, like we're the stuff that we're interested in is like, even like the most obscure stuff in punk. It just happens that like most of the cool people that came out of punk, we're all into the same sort of stuff. In my opinion, most of the coolest people, (laughs) you know, and that's hopefully bore out by this podcast over time, you know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, it'll be the biggest, and it'll be the best, and it'll be the coolest. Yeah, but I mean, like, no, but I mean, like, the biggest and the biggest is the best now. Like, so unfortunately, you know, we, we don't really, you know, like, you can't, like, it's it's just, like, weird to kind of, like, have to accept the uh, the fact that, like, oh, there's there's, like the coolest is the most popular at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I obviously I don't agree with that really, but I know what you're getting at with, with saying it like, that's what seems to win out as far as like exposure or something. Mm-hmm. And therefore that's what makes that taste because that's the way the machine works. The mechanism is, is driven by that kind of attention now, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, that's the uh, that's the only unfortunate part about, you know, sort of the greatness of, of like, you know, simultaneously where I can look up every nuanced factoid of whatever the hell I want to know. At the same time, it's the bombardment of everything else is just, you know, largely what group, like, whatever kind of, like, uh, mass, you know, audience appeal, you know, is being pushed at the same time that sort of, 
often is like it's hard to get or even around to get to the cool things mm-hmm. in my opinion so yeah it's i know what you mean i don't obviously i don't feel that way and i think this show dictates that that's not the way a lot of people feel but yeah it's it's hard to uh awards are irrelevant in the sense that that stuff clearly wins out because that's what you're being bombarded with on a regular you know hourly minutely basis yeah, like look at the look at the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions this year, and people are like, <laughs> you know, like it's. It, I think that speaks to it. Like that's the stuff that's, you know, that unfortunately is the most mainstream, middle of the road stuff, and that's the stuff that's going to get acknowledged. I didn't. Uh, we did a whole thing on that a year ago, and so I laughed when I saw that. I saw a headline about it, and it was something to do with like basically them saying they botched it again and didn't. I don't know, whatever, didn't induct whoever. I didn't even look at the list this year because I just thought last year's was so absurd, I'm not even going to bother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so it's funny you bring it up. But yeah, that one, that one's an especially, because that one's even super subjective too because it just doesn't make any sense legitimate. It doesn't make any sense, period. Like, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees are, are super wacky always. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like it might as well be like, like, you know, like a lottery draw, legitimately. Like it's so bizarre. Because there's there there's there's all the like the pet, like what's the word I want to say but like the, like the old guard that they just have to like give a nod to you know yeah. it's like when Jethro Tull won like the Grammy for heavy metal records you know like yeah. there's these ones you just have to include you know what in in wrestling you know it always comes back to wrestling for me there's the <laughs> WWE Hall of Fame right. And that's yeah. everyone just like is like oh god like it and it's very similar to what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would be, you know. But then there's you know the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, you know that Dave Meltzer <laughs> organizes with his from from Wrestling Observer, one of the longest running wrestling news sites. Dave Meltzer is one of the most respected wrestling journalists, one of the most one of the very respected sports journalists. I'd actually say, uh, but anyway, so he has not just journalists all around. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Journalists all around. Journalists all around. Yeah. Um, okay. But anyway, so they have their <laughs> Observer Hall of Fame, and it's very respected because they take it seriously. I think we should do a Turned Out a Punk Hall of Fame. And, like, we, I, I, we vote in idea. people. I like that. You know, fans, fans listeners, friends, uh, we all vote in people. And then we can kind of, like, you know, do it like a ballot. Like, set it up like a real Hall of Fame and keep track of it. And then will, will it, people will it be here. more or less successful than the compilation list? <laughs> the compilation list is still going, I think, Chris. Right? The well, best comps of all time. Eventually, but this yeah, could be better because this involves everyone voting, and then we'll have like a list. Like we'll come up with this list, and then we got to write like you know why these people should be in it. You know, and we'll have an inaugural class, right? Where we'll put in like you know it'll be the Mount Rushmore, and we can have. You know, we'll have to confront some truths about some bands, you know? <laughs> but what are you, okay, so let's, let, I, we need to, okay, you need to set some guidelines here. So you're saying punk-centric stuff, or just in, like, what, what, what's the criteria here? We're going to start a punk-centric, but then we'll grow it out, like, turn out a punk, uh, the podcast, like, you know, as long as it can <laughs> be connected to it, it can be part of it. And believe me, there's something coming up tomorrow where after this, you can connect Brand Nubian to uh, the Chromags. <laughs> okay, but, yeah, this is what I mean. Like, my, I guess my my immediate concern uh, upon this loose uh, <laughs> loose definition 
is uh, I do not want any semblance of, of homies uh, being <laughs> at song or anything like that. That will not well, yeah, happen, that- Chris. We believe me. We're gonna. It's gonna be because, like, if you listen to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, they have lists from like Japan, right? And they have lists sure. from like England, right? And then they have lists like. So we're gonna have to do. It's like there'll be like a South American list, right? There'll be an Eastern European list. There'll be a Western European list. There'll be maybe just have to be a UK list too, you know. Uh, and then, but are we doing bands? Are we doing artists? Are we doing albums? We're doing, we're doing bands. They have to go in as a band. Okay. You know, and you go in and you like that way. You have to look at the whole the whole piece. You have to look at the whole catalog, right? So I'd argue like wretched who are kind of good the whole way through uh, are going to have uh, a good chance of getting in there. Leatherface, good the whole way through. You know. <laughs> I just like that the first name upon this criteria was you pulled up wretched. I was just was looking at the wretched name. LP from like the late '80s right now in my record La- stack. Latua or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, that record's pretty fucking sick. So I'm like, they're pretty Yeah, it's not. <laughs> you know? I'm just laughing that of all the names, of all the, the this is the greatest of gods. Oh, well, obviously, you start with Wretched, and you work your way down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, Wretched's the first people, uh, first band in. No, but yeah. uh, maybe Wretched's a poor I'm... example. But I, I kind of, uh, but Gauze, <laughs> Gauze is definitely, uh, I would say, yes. you know, first ballot. I think Wretched, though, is a perfect footnotes example. So good job there. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I was thinking more personally when you were bringing this up, this idea, I thought, okay, well, what would be the first round? Like I was thinking of those kind of seminal acts. So, but, yeah, like, but then it also becomes a matter of like, do you pick things where you're like, oh, I'll just say the, you know, like the abused because they only legitimately put out like a record. So then there's yeah, but it's I don't all, think they, you know. Yeah, like I think the abused are one of my favorite New York hardcore bands ever, and I would say one of the best seven inches of all time. Are they a Hall of Fame act? Probably not. You know. This is the debate, yeah. I yeah, that's a Well then thing. I would say like Crucifix, because Crucifix have a twelve inch, a seven inch, and an LP, all killer. So they have Crucifix multiple releases. and live, they were really good. Uh I would say though, like here's the things you talk about when you talk about if uh, if it's a Hall of Fame artist, right? Like, uh, you kind of have to look at long-term effects on culture, you know? And I would say that Crucifix is an artist that eventually would wind up in a Hall of Fame, you know, from my standpoint, definitely, because I think those records are unreal, killer. But at the same time, like, no. Do I think they go in the first round? No. So the first round considerations are the deepest impact and penetration on culture from from the whatever, the... yeah. I would, say culture, I would say punk, you know, like a band that like changed, changed everything, you know, like the, well, an artist it, who you could argue like shifted, shifted the, the, the cultural fabric. Well, if you want a, a band that put a stamp on culture, uh, Crucifix, the one dude then went on to do lip service, yep. which made clothes for all the cock rock bands. Yep. No, he definitely. So they did. really did put a, a mark on culture. <laughs> I would say to yeah. bring it back around. I think they definitely could. We'll wind up in the Hall of Fame day, but I don't think like would I put them in over, uh, you know, Gauze? No, you know, would no. I put them in over even like a, a Los Crudos? Because I think Los Crudos, you know, definitely could be argued changed, shifted the culture, had major impact. You know, like no, no, I, I, I would say, they, I would say they go in over crucifix sooner than crucifix. Like not, 
Not that I think that I like, you know, anything more than certain crucifix songs in music, but I think that's once again like that's personal taste and we're talking about what winds up in a hall of fame. Gotcha. Yeah. The kids. Yeah, I, you okay. know, that's you know that's well Belgium. that's well stated. I agree. You know, the kids from Belgium. I think they would be one that you could argue, right? Like, you know, you'd have to probably yeah, put but in... would the kids from Belgium get in before uh like Radio Birdman? Uh I don't know, that's interesting. That would be one that you'd have to kinda talk about because I think I think for my personal taste, like I like Radio Birdman more, but uh I think kids from Belgium, you know, that definitely having been in that country like I judge a lot of these things like when you talk to a random person from one of these places and you know, and you just bring up this band, what kind of reactions you get. You know, Radio Birdman is you no, know, you know what? I think Radio Birdman would have to be one of the first ones you go in because like you go to Australia, they are the remote. You're cutting. Um, uh, I mean, I think going forward, once you have like your 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 uh, like your base, then you could have like a, the 2018 nominees are. No, but I'm know. sorry. What I mean is like like you said, Hulk Hogan, like that wrestling one. Is there like Hulk Hogan was first, and that's like the like that's a thing. You know, well, you would that... have like an inaugural. I don't think you'd have to decide who would be the first first one. But I okay, think you would have, yeah. like, an inaugural class, right? Like, you'd be like, yeah, okay. <clears throat> we're going to put all these people in so we don't have to, like, waste, you yep. know, like, you know, the first few years doing that, right? And so that's also a lot of debate. Like, who would go in that first class? I think Dave named off a bunch, I would say. <laughs> yeah. See, see the other question about this is, this is where the worry comes in for me, too, with mm-hmm. this list. Although, you know, it's still interesting regardless. Is like, where do the Green Days go? Do they go? Where does the offspring go? Do they go? Well, because we're talking about those things. You know, there's there's definitely other criteria, right? Like, you know, like, do you think that they, you know, had a positive effect on the culture, right? Like, you know, or did they maybe not necessarily have a positive effect? I think Green Day, you could be argued, did have very positive effect. And same with the offspring, because it attracted, like, a whole new wave of kids to get into it. So, like... I think you kind of do have to put them in, but I'm sure some people could make an argument like they should should they go in before a band like Fugazi or Bikini Kill? Like, you know, that's an argument that you know I think someone could make. Yeah, I get. What you're, yeah, this is my my worry is just that I don't I wouldn't want it just on the criteria of like affecting culture or whatever the criteria of that was, because then you could throw in a whole bunch of just you know bands like that and. And it's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with these bands inherently, but I'm less interested in that personally than yeah. I am whatever the other the wretcheds or the yeah. you know all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think they would go in. I don't. I don't think I, I wouldn't put Green Day in that first class. Like I would put them in pretty soon, but I think like every year you could probably have like you know like because you're doing it by country, you know, or by region, I should say. You know, like you'd have a whole Scandinavian wing. You know, like you'd have you'd be putting in. Artists. So you're saying each each geographical region gets their first waves, is what you're saying? So well, each each there's like some way of weighting it. I got to look better more into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame how they do it. But they <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah, you've got to help. Like they have, definitely have geographical breakdowns. You know, okay, to help navigate people getting in. I think because like there's a lot of debate about you know different areas and you know but you could have like you'd have to put a list up every year right like so and then you could have people like you could put people into the list and then people get voted off the list if they're not if they're not voted in after a certain number of years they're off that list 
Oh, really? really? Yeah. And then they have to be nominated to get back on that list somehow. See, the, the, I like this idea. I just think, wow, that's pretty... Didn't it's expect elaborate. that out. No, it's yeah. definitely... It's like definitely it's like a real Hall of Fame ballot. But how would... You know, like, for someone to even get nominated enough and not get in and then get voted... Like, I just... Yeah. That... Well, because it's I don't a know Hall of Fame. Like, that's why you make, you make that criteria super stiff, right? Like, the people that are getting in here, it's like... You know, it's not... It's not like, you know... Just any Italian hardcore band is wretched. But would they, yeah. <laughs> would they go in before Rob Power? No, no way they go in before Rob Power. Rob Power 100% exactly. goes in before wretched. Like, you know, and, and it's because, like, Rob Power, like, you know, it, it's it's they were the band. Like, Freddie Alva's episode, you know, like, he, he talks about they were, like, one of the first hardcore bands he ever saw and how much they blew his mind, you know, like, they were trading tapes with people all over the world. They were, like, really the ambassadors of that scene and that sound like internationally and like you know certainly wretched and jesty i think will eventually make it into a hall of fame of this kind of type that we're describing but like i think i think raw power has to go in first so yeah i i have another little bit of uh uh brainstorming to throw into this mm-hmm. using one group as an example so the idea of groups being nominated and perhaps what could work against a group let's say take a group like corrosion of conformity right uh-huh. and spanning the entirety of the career does a latter the latter uh life of a group uh perhaps counteract to the point where it, it would be difficult for one of those groups to get in using say like a coc or a uh, I'm trying to think of another example like that. Um, anyway, do you get where I'm going with this? Yeah, I was thinking about this, but the thing with COC is they, besides the fact that I for an eye is one of my favorite records, yeah, with the animosity, they them and DRI help like change the landscape, which yes. I think should give them credit for for doing that. Yeah, yep. I agree. Yep, I think you make that. I think that definitely now, especially looking at it from 2017 eyes, you know, 100%. You make that argument too. But do they go in? You know, they'd they'd have to go in after like Black Flag, right? Oh yeah, and DOA if we're doing it by geographical region. Um, I think the the first wave, I think, is just shoe ins. I think they're easy. Like I think it's just every you know take whatever kind of like. Book, like even like what all music would like if all all music had a what is hardcore yeah, but that's why we can't but that's you have to like have like the big boys you know you'd have to have um you'd have to have uh you know there's like other artists that oh guys unfortunately i think i might have to call this the end tonight <laughs> if you guys can continue because it looks like dorian is is up Does he he want to really throw in his two cents? Yeah, he's like, wait, are you guys going to just talk about CUC but not bring up Bloodmobile? He hasn't hasn't had a chance to think about his picks. For he's like, you know, those the the CUC people are all are definitely going to vote with a bullet. So you know, you got to be careful with that as well. Oh my god, I could do this all day. Um, Well, I don't know what you guys have planned for the rest of the weekend, but.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.